Welcome to Crossing the Enterprise Chasm, a podcast about software startups and their journey moving up market to serving enterprise customers. I'm your host, Michael Greenwich. I'm the founder of WorkOS, which is a platform that helps developers quickly ship common enterprise features like single sign-off. On this podcast, you'll hear directly from founders, product leaders, and early stage operators who have navigated building great products for enterprise customers. In every episode, you'll find strategies, tactics, and real world advice for ways to make your app enterprise ready and take your business to the next level. Today, I'm joined by Sam Lambert, the CEO of PlanetScale. PlanetScale is a next-generation database built for modern applications, including serverless apps. It currently serves hundreds of millions of queries a day across thousands of databases, and its customers include companies like Airbnb, Slack, and GitHub. Along the way, this meant PlanetScale needed to become enterprise-ready and build new enterprise features and functionality for IT admins. We're going to dig into all this and more and talk about how PlanetScale is moving up market and crossing the enterprise chasm. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So let's just jump right in. Give us a quick update on PlanetScale. Where's the business and team today? And what's your current focus? I was just thinking about this today, actually. It's been a fantastic year, actually, over at PlanetScale. So we launched our product in GA maybe two or three weeks ago. And we launched our beta in May. Now, the history of the company is that the company was founded to deliver for test, which is this open source database orchestration layer that was built at YouTube to power all of YouTube. And the founders of the company kind of broke it out and decided to build a company on top of it. And then a year ago, in fact, the first commit on the whole platform was on December 1st. So really just a year ago, we kind of pivoted a little bit towards building a serverless database cloud platform on top of Vitesse. And we did a lot of hiring. The company has grown 4x in size in the last year. And it's been pretty amazing. We've not only unlocked like large websites that already run on the platform and actually ended up running on the platform during our beta, but we're still, you know, working with really huge enterprise organizations and supporting them with their database needs. And it's great. Like a new game that we're playing, which unfortunately I can't name, that was just released, a very popular video game, is running on our tech. And it's just been a really surreal year to kind of look back and see the name everywhere, see our technology running on just for gigantic platforms. It's been really awesome. What's on my mind? It's like you said, going up market, reaching more and more companies, building for more and more folks and making sure we continue to delight who we feel is our true core audience, which is developers. In October of this year, you folks announced that you had this enterprise plan coming out with single sign-on, auto logs, and unlimited branches, many other features for larger organizations. What was the decision between prioritizing this over maybe some of those features for individuals? I'm curious if you can talk through how you balance those two in your roadmap today as you're moving up market. Yeah, so it's really interesting. And I think actually lately, it's been less of a kind of either or, like it's both now for companies, I would say. We wanted to prioritize it so that we could actually just reach developers everywhere. And sometimes the developers that are most in need of like modern, awesome, great tooling are inside enterprises. And so we wanted to be capable to serve that audience. And we talk about that feature set that you just mentioned as capabilities, things that are enabling so that a developer who is at the absolutely like bleeding edge, hottest startup can use the same technologies as someone who is at a hundred year old company that is revolutionizing their technology. And so we really wanted to enable both groups of folks. And it's about meeting those larger needs. And it came with also us releasing our managed product, which means that we have kind of the separation 
of our backend and our data plane that can actually live inside a customer's cloud. And that's our kind of modern answer to on-prem. We very deliberately say we don't do like on-prem managed software. We're not trying to package up PlanetScale into like an on-prem device or like VM or whatever and ship it off into people's enterprises. And so we've tried to go for this kind of on-prem, maybe cloud-native way of delivering this. And it's just so that we can, you know, get in and build for more and more people. I'd love to hear more about that, about the managed cloud offering. I know you guys started working on this, gosh, like over a year ago, probably conceptualizing it even before then. Walk us through the story of how this came to be, this kind of management control plane for on-prem service. It's kind of this like cloud-prem, I don't even know what to call it. It's a new architecture. Let's name it now, cloud-prem. Yeah, there we go, cloud-prem. Where did that come from? What's the genesis of that at PlanetScale? Yeah, so all credit to our engineering team. We always knew that, you know, with having a technology that's as powerful as ours, it's going to have you know large enterprise demand. And we had a do-over with building this new platform, last, uh, starting again. And they really took a step back and thought about the different ways a business would want to consume and buy the software. And they thought about like how do you develop this incredibly beautiful, intuitive experience that you kind of really only get with SaaS software, right? Like this is what serverless is about. Serverless is not just about not asking someone to configure servers, which I think is a really stupid demand of any cloud platform in 2021. Like I just don't think it's necessary. So we wanted to be serverless and we wanted to deliver this incredible experience, but we weren't asking large enterprises to just kind of hand their data over straight away to a third party without building up an absolute massive amount of trust. And this is funny, actually. I think the tide's changing a little bit on that. You know, we speak to customers and we kind of, before we go to the meeting, we try and like qualify the demands that they're going to have, what they're looking for. And we're often like, oh yeah, they're just going to want managed. They're just going to want the cloud-prem. You know, they're an old school company. And it's really actually surprising sometimes how often they're like, no, actually, we know we're over that phase of, you know, company, we're happy to give the hosting to the experts, but not everyone is there, right? They have different regulations. They might need to secure their infrastructure in different ways. So we really thought about how we could disconnect the data plane from the control plane. The control plane is where like the real secret source is, all of the things that enable branching, enable our online schema changes, all of the kind of magic. And there's a lot more magic on the roadmap for next year. And we want to keep control of that. Packaging software up and like, we really saw this at GitHub with GitHub Enterprise. We were scaling the world's largest code host. And that takes a lot of building services that are really bespoke and specific. And then taking something that runs on like thousands and thousands of servers and crunching it into a single machine to deliver that experience was hellish. And we never wanted to go through that again. But we really had to think about where the parts of the stack have to break apart and what you can give the customer. And the way the team came up with it was just absolutely fantastic. So we have our control plane. We have something called Singularity, which basically can like schedule the work that happens from the control plane. And Singularity knows how to speak to any number of backends, whether that backend is through an encrypted tunnel through into someone else's cloud, or it's on our cloud, it looks exactly the same. There's no difference in the architecture. So that means our development teams can continue to build fast, and the infrastructure is then just segmented and isolated specifically to the customer. So it's a very kind of elegant, modern way of building this type of service that isn't full of like foot guns and it just isn't incredibly difficult to build against. And all credit goes to the engineering team. They thought we're starting from scratch. How do we figure this out with all of the 
kind of criteria for the future in mind. And they laid out that architecture and it's just fantastic. And actually we had an incredible amount of people reach out when we started talking about it because they were like, we were scratching our heads on how to deliver something on-premise without actually doing on-prem software. And they were like, this is amazing. This clicks and they loved it. That sounds like a really elegant solution to a problem that's been plaguing tons of different companies. I've heard about this all the time in terms of where you store the data, data residency, who has controls over it. Do you find that the people that are concerned about having access to the data, that this is kind of a legitimate concern around data residency or something like this, you know, some regulation, or are these people who are eventually going to move to the cloud? I'd say it's understandable. So I was the buyer once. And when we were buying for GitHub, we didn't want our availability to be in anyone else's hands. And that was partly like a comment on, I guess, the maturity of certain services or where the cloud actually is or was. But I think that is actually changing. I think SaaS software is getting better and better. And I think it's going to become a generational thing. We've seen thousands of startups start on planet scale this year. And then you look at the stack they use. And one of my favorite things is people share on Twitter now all the different stacks they're building their startups with. And they're piecing together all of these incredible SaaS products and building a full business straight away on this really scalable infrastructure. And that is an amazing generational shift. And I think all companies are going to want to consume software that way because as you can stand on the shoulders of giants really easily now. Let's talk more about that shift happening in SaaS. So Planet Scale. If you go to planetscale.com, it clearly stands out as a company that cares about design, craft, like the polish around the experience. Very different than typical maybe enterprise software companies or certainly other companies that are doing like database hosting, right? That's been a pretty dry industry for a long time. Talk through why this is important and how you approach this, what it matters to PlanetScale. That's a great question. And it does matter to us. It matters on various levels. You could like cynically justify it by just saying that Enterprises are commercializing. We look at the iPhone, right, which is a dominant phone in enterprise now. BlackBerry 1 was winning. And then the iPhone showed up with absolutely zero enterprise features because it was beautiful and kind of spoke to all of us. And people just like snuck it in and it took over. And there's this like generational thing now. There's a bunch of people in their kind of mid-30s that are buying software at enterprises that grew up in a generation that were got to use actual nice dev tools like rails and github and all of these things and people just don't want to look at ugly terrible hard to use enterprise software and sadly like the database market is probably the most criminal when it comes to this like databases are incredibly unintuitive ugly and just generally not built for humans and we wanted to change that and so you can just justify it as a great business case because it clearly resounds with people and we shifted the game forward very quickly but on a deeper level it just feels the right way for all of us emotionally to build things that actually inspire us. Like our lead designer, Jason Long, who is phenomenally talented and has had a very long career in product design and designed some of the earliest pieces of GitHub. I was telling him the 30 seconds where he says, hang on a second, I'm just going to share my screen to show you what's in Figma. I get butterflies. I get so excited just to see what he's come up with because we work so diligently to create something amazing. And I want it to feel exciting and magical and powerful to everyone that uses the product because I have finite time on earth and like we all do. And I want to look at the things that we build and say, that is actually beautiful and feels great to use because why the hell not? Like truthfully, and 
when we see people sharing just even our marketing imagery and saying like, wow, this is incredible. When people share our design of our CLIs and say, oh, wow, like I need to redesign my CLI that way. When you consider we're a database company and that that's happening and that dev tools are up in their game because of what we've put in the world, it makes me really excited. It's great for bringing adoption to the platform. And I think it's the only way I'd want to build products. I think for people that are drawn to that type of work also, they almost can't work in an environment <laughs> that doesn't have that. I certainly feel like that too. Yeah, exactly. And in the beginning, when I was thinking about coming to PlanetScale and what I wanted to do, and when I was looking at all of these other databases that are out there that were just look horrendous, I just thought, how do people feel excited using these tools? And then when people do get excited using your product, it just feels incredible. And I also struggle. And a lot of people do struggle to use things that are unintuitive and difficult. And we shouldn't put people through that. I think there's absolutely no reason enterprise software can't be as beautiful, seamless, polished as the consumer products that are out there. There's no reason. I 100% agree. And that's why we're happy work OS customers as well. <laughs> because when I asked the team, how was the experience? They were just like, this is incredible. It's an enterprise product, right? It's actually table stakes. If you're building for other enterprises, you have to use this tooling. And then for it to be a delightful developer experience, gets everyone towards their goals quicker. Like everybody. And everybody wins when the management of the company says, right, now it's time to build the enterprise requirements, right? Like it's not going to be the most shared thing on Twitter all of the time. Like it's not as cool as like some of the features that we're shipping now or have shipped. But it's essential. It's like so critical to unlock and enable. And when they find it surprisingly delightful and awesome to build against, just everybody wins. It's a complete win-win situation. We focus a lot on the speed of doing that. And I know PlanetScale does this too, the kind of the speed of getting started. Can you talk through that, how you frame that in terms of, you know, the day zero developer experience versus maybe the day 1000 developer experience? Yeah, so speed is so critical. And I really learned that at GitHub. When I joined, there was the Zen of GitHub, which was this kind of set of, I wouldn't want to say rules, but beliefs that the company had. And one of them is that it's not shipped until it's fast. And there was this obsession with making things really quick. And people would always say, you know, it's amazingly quick website for what it does. And we really realized that it's a feature. And when people can like dance around the product, like they can just shift through what they're doing so quickly, it feels like you're playing. It feels like play. It feels like excitement. And so when we started to build this product, like build planet scale, I said database creation should be instant. And I think a few people thought like, why? You only do it once. Like, who cares? Like, let's focus on like how we're going to be running this thing forever. And it's like, it's true. We should. We should do both. Because when you have the idea for like the next stripe in your head and you are in that moment of inspiration, you do not want to spend time waiting for a database to provision. You want to get past that because the database is a tool. It's a means to an end. And that end is your idea and that thing you want to create. And the database is essential. Like when I talk to people about the opportunity that Planet Scale has, the fact that every company needs a database, like it's just essential. Like you can't really be doing anything meaningful as a technical project without a way to store data. So, first of all, it's a massive opportunity. It's awesome. So, it's essential. And because we've kind of captured people that way, why make it painful? When I was looking at joining, I thought I'd do some market research. And like the most talked about database at that time, took 24 minutes to provision. And I honestly forgot what I was doing. After 24 minutes, I kind of got up, made a coffee, 
like phone rang or like got stuck on Twitter or whatever, and it's gone. Like that moment of like extreme excitement to build something just dies in that 24 minutes. It's just like if your notes app took forever to load, you'd lose information that you should be jotting down on your phone. And so we wanted to make it instant so that you can move past creating the database and you can get to doing what you did. And more companies need to see their database as a tool for creation. And once we did that, it came very quickly part of the culture. And now we just obsess over it. People get woken up, they get paged if database creation or branch creation takes too long because it's something that we care about. Like the product's in their hands at that point and it should feel high quality and speed is a real tenant of that. I'd love for you to talk more about how you build stuff at PlanetScale. I remember reading this tweet from you that like product managers spend too much time trying to create like a rigid process. And that process instead should be like really creative and flexible and playful. How do you think about, you know, balancing that, getting ideas to kind of come from the bottom up or from anyone, but at the same time needing to have a roadmap and be shipping and moving towards your commercial goals? Great question. So it's all very different for different things. It depends exactly what we're doing. And it's about listening to people for what their core competencies are. But also, it's about creating like a constant, unresolvable, but healthy tension within the company. So we have this degree of unreasonableness across the company. We like to be unreasonable. So I'll listen to a complete different spectrum of customers. I will listen to enterprise companies that have 10,000 developers, terabytes of data, like every compliance requirement on possible on planet Earth and all of that stuff. And then I will listen to people that have been software developers for one year and just say, can't this be instant and can't databases just work this way? Because that level of unreasonableness is perfect. You know, the more you learn, you lose that naivety. And some of the greatest products have been born out of just frustration and naivety. So I want to listen to all of it and think about it, right? And think how you deliver for people. And the question is, why? Why can't it be instant? Why can't it just work that way? Why can't it just scale magically? And so those are great questions to ask ourselves. And we then try and build up a similar tension inside the company. So we have backend database engineers that worked on literally some of the largest database employments that have ever run in the history of tech. The people that build the backend database for YouTube that ran on tens of thousands of servers, like massive petabytes of data. We had people that were early engineers at Instagram and Amazon and like all of these people that have just seen like the biggest technical deployments we've ever come up with as an industry. And all of the pitfalls, all of the nasty gnarliness and understand all of the rules of databases and how everything kind of is difficult and tough. And those people are phenomenally talented. They work so hard to deliver something that's so high quality and something that's so difficult to build. And then we have a team called the Surfaces team that build all of the surfaces that are exposed to the users. So the API, the CLI, and the front end of the site. And we have the product designers as well. Our product designers have really very little database expertise. And that's fine. If you let the backend team tell the product designers how it should look, you end up with ugly products, right? And if you had product designers designing databases, it wouldn't work very well. So then we work really hard internally with people that have high context and kind of an appreciation for design and knowledge of databases to create that space where that tension can just continually live. And we then try and create something that has the user in mind that meets the need of databases. Because you can't really compromise when you're storing people's data. And so we kind of have magicians and believers and all of these people 
that it all kind of comes together and it's quite chaotic. I'm sure it would drive some people utterly crazy to work at Finance Girl. But for the right type of people and the people that want to resolve the fact that they've been building software for many years and have never been excited by a database, have dreaded using it, and you ask them what they would look for while they were building things, it kind of just all comes together. It's really fun. Where does the playfulness come in? That was a very specific word, I think, that you had used. How is that expressed? It's expressed in so many different ways. First of all, we just don't try and take ourselves too seriously. I want to build a company with people that have a sense of humor because like crazy shit happens, like really crazy things happen. Like I remember we were under attack by a nation state at GitHub and the site had been down for a significant period of time. We were having all of these like terrible issues and it was stressful, but like the team kind of ended up turning into like, well, I mean, this is never going to happen again or has never happened before. And it's kind of weird and crazy. Let's just enjoy it and experience it, right? And it was really super stressful. But you look back at it and you think, wow, that is a memory that you're lucky enough to have. You get to do something significant and fun. And sometimes stuff goes crazily wrong and you just have to laugh at it. So first of all, the fun is just because we have fun. We laugh. We are a bit silly and we try and have a sense of humor. But also we just like, we make time to just play with design, play with the look and feel break the stuff that we've used. We don't like clutch onto our work as if it's like the only thing that represents us. It's just a product of what we knew at the time, what we thought we could build at the time. And we kind of just make it happen that way without taking it overly too seriously. And if we need to redo stuff, we just throw it away. And it's not like someone's performance review is attached to this thing living forever. And that's what happens at bad companies. It's like, Oh, we like overly rotate on impact. So now like because of a bad organization chain or a rubbish leader, we've been told to do something, we shipped it, it's the wrong idea. But if I don't like push it all the way through to production and just like keep going, I won't have anything to show on the impact scale for the performance review process. Like all of those incentives are wrong. Our incentive is that we will just keep learning, we will keep growing, we will build, we will throw away, we'll redo things that we don't like and we'll just hold a high standard and just make it like, you know, we are playing, we are experimenting. We just don't take it too seriously. Speaking of learning, I know that you all hired a VP of sales last year, I think last spring. What's been the most valuable thing that you've learned about building a sales team since then? Sales teams are fascinating. And I see a lot of leaders and founders go through learning about sales teams. And I've had to learn about how sales teams work. And it's a really hard job, first of all. Working in sales is really tough. It takes determination and you can get real sort of highs and lows from doing it. I think, unfortunately, there's a sort of a trend in tech where engineers diminish the role of sales teams. They think that they create this amazing thing and it can just be sold. And actually, there's a lot that goes into building sellable software, software that meets the needs of the people that are buying it. And it's a two-way process. You have to give the sales team a seat at the table to communicate back the needs of the buyer. And you learn in a lot of ways how your product is deficient and how it's wonderful and what is really resonant with the buyer and how to like double down on those things. You also just learn that like, it's very strategic and sales teams have very well-defined roles. If you get it right, a sale moves through a process and as seamlessly as you can make that process, 
the better experience it is for the customer and the less chance you lose the sale. And it's a very, very interesting type of organizational structure. And I would recommend if you're listening to this and you're curious about a role that is in tech that is completely, completely essential, and you're an engineer and you want to learn about how this essential role and function works, dissecting how a sales team works is really, really fascinating and interesting. It's a great lesson in incentive structures as well. I've been digging into it as well, and it's just as much of a system as engineering is, which is just a fascinating thing. It's really just about incentives and structures. It's the same in design. I completely agree. And it's so objective in terms of how the outcomes are laid up. There's a real art to it. And some of the best sales leaders just are masters at incentive structures and understanding them. Sam, I think we're keeping you for a little too long. Last question (laughs) before we wrap up. A lot of people listening to this podcast are probably folks similar to you, but years ago, I'm curious what advice you might give to early stage entrepreneurs, founders, engineers, folks that are building a new B2B product, you know, that haven't yet gone up market to cross the enterprise chasm, but are looking towards that. Stay curious about everything and learn as much as you possibly can. And one way to do that is go and talk to people who have done it before and just ask them loads of questions. And people don't mind. That's the thing I realized is like, you don't have an abundance of time when you run a company. But I always used to assume that if I reached out to somebody that was like busy and powerful and some big company, that I would be bugging them or irritating them. But now I'm kind of in the seat where, you know, I'm running a company and someone reaches out and wants to talk. You actually like it. You kind of feel like you're helping someone out and it's complicated and it's really difficult. Just by talking to people, you can really help them leap forward further. And I wish I had known earlier that just taking your shot and emailing someone and saying, hey, can I buy your coffee in return for some advice? How beneficial that would be. And when I worked it out and I started just trying to connect with people that were just way above me in career and stature and everything and asking them for advice, everything changed and got so much better. And you just realized that no matter what people have done or what they've achieved, they're human with all of the failures and foibles that we have as humans. And we're all going through a similar experience and you can learn from those people. And yeah, just show up with a notebook, ask a lot of questions, be respectful of people's time. But there's so much that can be learned out of there from so many great people. Well, Sam, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Thanks again for answering my questions today. <laughs> this has been fantastic. And uh, super excited to see how Planet Scale continues to grow in the years to come. Thank you so much for having us. You just listened to Crossing the Enterprise Chasm, a podcast about software startups and their journey moving up market to serving enterprise customers. Want to learn more about becoming enterprise ready? The WorkOS blog is full of tons of articles and guides outlining best practices for adding features like single sign-on, skim provisioning, and more to your app. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you're first to hear about new episodes with more founders and product leads of fast-growing startups. I'm Michael Greenwich, founder of WorkOS. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.